All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special edition of Albuquerque Strength Academy podcast. Uh, we're having a conversation with uh, Grayson once again. How's it going, everybody? Myself and with uh, our special guest, Dasa Daniel. Hello, everyone. And so we, uh, we wanted to have a conversation about some of the things that are going on. And uh, as a community, USA Weightlifting has decided that we're going to be inclusive of everybody. We want everybody to be part of... Uh, the idea of, of weightlifting and, and, and the things that it can provide for you as an individual, but also as a community. And the things that we do as a community affect everybody that belongs to it. So uh, we wanted to have a conversation with Desa because she's an educator and a counselor, and um, she's got you know a lot of credentials in her field. And she's she's also has to be you know she's also a woman, and and she's got a lot of experiences to share. And we were hoping to talk about some of those experiences and maybe clear up some of the things that. Uh, people have some misconceptions about and also maybe yeah that's all right you. so yeah we're uh, so we're gonna have this conversation about uh, a variety of topics but let's let's just get started like what did you guys kind of want to discuss as far as like okay so the, the organization of USA weightlifting has decided that you know we're gonna include everybody there's nobody that's gonna be discriminated against based on your color religion creed your your sexual identity your gender whatever so if you want to be a weightlifter, you can be a weightlifter, and 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 Grace and I agree with that. Like whenever you come into the the gym, like you're a potential athlete. Like we just want to we just want to work with you and see what what your potential is, how far you can go, and, and based on your goals and things like that, and your aspirations as far as the sport goes, we want to help you get there, no matter what your your background is. So um, I think that USA weightlifting took a good step in the direction of standing up for people you know in the community and 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 being part of the the, the solution as opposed to part of the problem so how, how do you take usa's weightlifting response to to like what's going on yeah so i really like what phil andrew said about um posting and his stance on it i think kind of two things happened um i think at the time it was important for people to like talk and break the silence about how they felt about Black Lives Matter overall. Right. Um, but I didn't love that it was in response to what CrossFit was doing to make this distinction between right. what we do and what we don't do, especially when some weightlifting gyms are like actually embedded within a CrossFit box or CrossFit space. Yeah, that happens um, all the time. Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of, I think, I don't think USA Weightlifting is crossfit and what's happening in crossfit but i think it's a deeper systematic issue when we talk about how we treat people and who has access to our gym yeah um where albuquerque strength is located is close to downtown a lot of people have easy access to the freeway all of those things right. um but like we're not in the northeast heights right. <laughs> where it's a completely different like social economic status as well yeah, I agree. and so really thinking about okay when we talk about diversity what does diversity look like and then as an organization for USA Weightlifting, everyone who's talking about diversity is a white man. So then it's kind of like, okay, how are you diversifying staff? Not just what are your policies and actions for the organization as a whole, right. but then also the people who work there and like the people who push these messages. What does the board look like? Sure. What does your membership look like? Those things as well. Yeah, and in a lot of those places, like the board is made up of entirely like white people. And, and, and is that because maybe they just had um, 
an exposure to it earlier in life where like they maybe they wanted to go into that direction and, and some people like for, for my for my personal experience I didn't have a whole lot of barbell um, training when I was growing up and especially as a teenager if I if I would have found it as a teenager I think I would have stuck with it a lot longer but in my community this just wasn't a thing like I didn't I never yeah. thought well, the sport of Olympic weightlifting would be for me as a Hispanic young man like as a teenager I just never thought that that was a sport that was that I could participate in so like I, is it because that people just don't know about it, or is it there actually some kind of maybe some systemic, you know, part of problem that, that doesn't allow people to, to enter at those levels? Well, it's both and, right? So we do see black athletes get exposure to some kind of weightlifting, like probably squats or yeah. horrible snatching and horrible cleans, like in their gym, right? At football practice. <laughs> right, football practice. <laughs> like yeah. through football. Right. But there's a mechanism to push black students and especially black men into basketball right. or football and kind of these ideas of how do you get out of your community? It's through an athletic scholarship. Right. And um, a lucrative one at that. Yes. Because football and basketball are careers that pay and weightlifting mm-hmm. is one that if you're lucky you make the same as if you worked a minimum wage job in order to train. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But also we have to remember, like, it's not just if people have access or not. It's also weightlifting is expensive, right? So, like, we were all in a quarantine lockdown. A lot of us bought a ton of equipment. And I had access to buy equipment. But a lot of people don't have a couple of thousand dollars sitting around for bumper plates. Right. And so you also have to think, okay, where do people have this access? But then also, where are they lifting? Most communities um, who are underserved or living in underserved communities are going to be in situations where they live in apartments or they live in some kind of government housing where the space is so small and limited already. They're not going to have a garage gym. So when we think about how do we challenge these sports, we really need to think about the privilege of the sport. I would say weightlifting is no different than like being a triathlete. Like you have to pay amount of money to get familiar with the sport to enter the sport. I see. Yeah, and I, and that can be a barrier to some people. And and uh, we we here at Albuquerque Strength Academy have tried to make weightlifting accessible to as many people as possible. And and I know that a lot of us come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, and some of us have different. We're we're at different levels in life, and so. It might be more expensive for some people and less expensive for others. So, but we try to make it accessible to as many people as possible, right? And so, um, without placing ourselves in a position where we can't keep the doors open, we still want to, you know, be able to do that. But we also want to make it to where it's just like, you know, we want to make it available to to as many people that want to do it as possible, and hope that you know we can work with, with individuals based on their individual you know circumstances. But we, as a business, decided that. We're going to hold ourselves to the standard of just like try to be available to as many people as we can in, in as many ways as possible, and and even if that means like we do some trading where you know maybe a, a teenager will come clean for us, they might not be able to afford a full membership, but if they can do something in a trade that allows them to kind of like us to work with them and still provide them value and, and give them the opportunities that they need based on that, as opposed to just being able to pay a full membership, and yeah. I think that like we've we've tried to do that, and I. Uh, I see it across um, some places, but like you're right, in, in a lot of CrossFit gyms are located in, in high income areas or they charge an astronomical amount for a membership. It was like, who can really afford to do all yeah. these things all the time? And, and so like I wanted to make the idea of uh, achieving uh, weightlifting aspirational goals accessible to as many people as possible. And, and I think that like the guidance that we've gotten from USA Weightlifting is, is more or less like, 
just just be a kind human being in general. Like you shouldn't have to discriminate against people for whatever reason or or like there's no there's no need for it. Mm-hmm. And so um, we've tried to take that approach and and how we we don't select athletes. Athletes come to us so that yeah. they feel comfortable in their own ways coming to us, and that means we've done a good job because nobody's afraid to come here for whatever reason. So yeah. um, I think that that. A lot of gyms, you know, it's really intimidating to go to them. Like, it's in a real super nice part of town. Everybody's, like, one color. It's just, like, you show up and you're the only brown guy or the only black woman there. It's just, mm-hmm. like, uh, maybe I might fit in here. I don't know. Like, yeah. And then, and then you, you, you might get through some awkward stages and, and maybe you'll fit in, maybe you won't. But, but like, there's that always that aspect of trying to, like, see where you fit into that, that organization, that culture um, coming from the outside. Yeah. I think the hardest part is you also have to take a real hard look at your current clientele right and if you feel like your current clientele isn't willing to invite their black or brown friends then that also speaks to the culture of your gym whether it's intentional or not um and really thinking about okay who are you referring to us and like are those really people we want to associate our brand with yeah i think it goes both ways especially right now where we see people disassociating themselves because they're worried about values I would say what were your original values sure. and like really what is your company founded on before all of this kind of blew up and started to become active again. Well, and that's it. I think that's why CrossFit kind of, maybe they, they made a, a mistake in the way that they approached handling the situation. Because like when I used to do CrossFit, I never felt like the modality of CrossFit was was geared toward a specific type of person, whether that that be rich or like white people. I always felt like the modality of CrossFit itself worked for anybody, like it could work for anybody, but it's just the cultures that the gyms create and cultivate create environments that might not be as friendly to minorities as, as other places. Yeah. So, and I think that's, that's a, like we're, we're trying to have a, a hard conversation because like some, these are some of the things that we might notice or might disregard because like we don't ever think about it. Like if you're white and you walk into a, a CrossFit gym and it's all white people, you don't feel out of place. There's all a bunch of other white people and they're probably yeah. all in the same socioeconomic status. They probably all, you know, have good jobs and live in nice neighborhoods and then you're coming from an apartment downtown or, or maybe like you live in a, a worse part of the city but you like this CrossFit gym. But like, where do you fit into that kind of stuff? And it's it's, it's always it's always a, a hard to take a step back and kind of look at those things from an outsider perspective. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think like the the looking at like kind of the socioeconomic thing because I mean obviously I'm super white, and uh, but you know so I but I was definitely like the poorest person at my CrossFit yeah. gym, and it kind of like was evident in even the kind of like gatherings that people would do like oh hey we're gonna go out for a drink at this yeah. place. And then I'd show up and I'd be like, this is a place I can't afford to be right now. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's definitely that socioeconomic thing. And I think that, you know, when we talked about the board of USA weightlifting or how many referees and marshals and stuff, including diversity in that, the barrier to that, I think is, is that in order to get your national referee or to be a marshal or to be involved with the board, you have to be able to afford to travel five or six times a year. You have to be able to take time off work. You have to be in a situation that allows you to have enough free time for that. And I think that a lot of times in, you know, lower class communities or communities of color, people don't have the option to take two weeks off work or a weekend off or five days off five times a year to go out to a meet and test for their national referee or to go to the board meetings um, and I think that, you know, I'm not sure what the right, right solution to that is because unless it's like subsidizing travel or something along those lines, 
But I think that that you know financial barrier of I know that we we have a hard time being able to travel to all the meets yeah. that we want to do, mm-hmm. um, and for you know there's a lot of people that are worse off than we are, and uh, you know it makes it kind of an impossibility. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of times where like one of us could go, yeah. and the other one stayed, and sometimes that was financial, but sometimes it was also because like. Um, there's athletes here that need coaching too. So like there's, there's a, the way that we divide up our time, like there, it's a good thing. There's two of us. If it was just Grayson and he had to travel out of town and then everybody here is kind of like stuck with, without a coach. But like, there's a lot of CrossFit gyms that might be in that situation where you just have one coach, you just have one, one person that's in charge of all that stuff. And then they might not be able to afford to go to every meet or, or cause like there's a lot of things that go on, um, meets all over the country, all over the world and things like that, that you can get to if you qualify for them, but they, they all come with a cost and that cost is travel expenses and things like that and hotels and stuff like that. And we were talking a little bit about, um, how in the past some, you know, black athletes, African-American athletes like John Davis was an Olympian, right? But he had to stay outside of venues sleeping in his car. Like he was allowed to compete in the sport of weightlifting, of course, but the, the places that he stayed in and the places that they held venues were places that discriminated against black people or, or they were still like segregationist and, and they still had this mentality of, of like keeping people separate and, and apart. And uh, I think that that's changed over the years. Obviously, you know, you know we're a little more inclusive in, in the way that we house our athletes and, and where we stay and go for meets and things like that. But there, there is obviously an element of discrimination that still exists even outside of weightlifting. And we want to talk about some of those things as well. And then Bring up, bring up some of the protests and things like that that have been happening. And I wanted to ask you about some questions that I've had from across the aisle. Of yeah. Some of the things that, that people have been talking about. So like, and I bring up John Davis because he was a successful black athlete in yeah. spite of all his situations, right? So some people might argue that the successful examples show that anybody can get there. Yeah. But I don't necessarily agree with that assumption because like you're taking the exception and making it the rule. Yeah. And I don't think that works in, 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 in a multitude of a variety of cases. Like there's plenty of black business owners and things like that. But the problem is, is that they're the exceptions. They, they get out in spite of, of uh, the, the things that are happening. And I think that for, for us, uh, especially in weightlifting, um, we've come a long way, but th- there's still a long way to go. There's a little bit of, of things that need to change, and change happens in small chunks over time. We, we're not going to be perfect, but yeah. but how do we get there, Daisy? How do we how do we be more um, like we are now and, and inclusive and things like that? And head in the more a more general direction of that as opposed to how we used to be in the past. Like how do we keep moving forward? Yeah, I think there's kind of two things. So the first thing, more than anything, is that. We really need to start looking at SES and where people are like social economically because right. really that tends to be the barrier to whether people can afford or not. And so SES means social economic status. Yeah. Okay. So we really want to look at, okay, like what are we offering? And I think when we look at USA weightlifting, especially like to be a coach, it's 500 bucks just yeah. like to take the test. Right. right. Um, but then COVID is the reason we finally have an online edition. Right. right? So it's kind of like, we're in 2020 and we we needed a global pandemic to have an online coaching training course. That's a good point. That so is a like, good point. Right? Yeah, so like point. really thinking like, okay, like not like here in Albuquerque, we may have access to maybe a training course every couple of years, but then that's not diversifying your coaching base in sure. USA weightlifting whatsoever. Um, even offering scholarships or like having people test to be a, some kind of coach. Um, or to train in that capacity is really important. 
Um, but then also in terms of really getting to the root of what weightlifting is and it's kind of this idea of like hey if you have access to a barbell and some weights then you're a weightlifter like you don't need like the new nikes that just came out like the new reeboks and all their colors like you don't have to have knee sleeves we can work on your mobility in other ways and really connecting to people where they're at and making them feel like hey if you just show up in like some shorts and a t-shirt and like some shoes we'll make it work so you can get introduction to this sport and those are the things people remember. It starts to get really expensive when you're like, oh, well, you have poor ankle mobility, so you need this like $200 shoe. Like, yeah. the more and more we keep asking people to buy more into the sport, um, makes people feel like if they're not buying in, they're not invested. Right. So you're, you're talking about like barriers of entry. Yeah, right? absolutely. So we want to lower those barriers of entry and make it accessible to as many people as possible and then keep the barriers of entry low. And that's, yeah. that's the same thing for like businesses, right? Like a lot of businesses will have barriers to entry, like licenses and yep. things like that, and all these different aspects that you need to have as a business owner. And then you know when, when people start try to start their own businesses, they don't realize that there's all these little stipulations attached, and so like the yep. barriers to entry and, and for minorities create problems, right? Like yep. oh, you got to have this, you got to have this kind of credit score, or you have to have this kind of yep. stuff, like, and that all creates like barriers. So like we want to make the entry to weightlifting is as seamless as possible for as many people as possible. And, and so like in, in that question and what I was talking referring to about John Davis is that he was successful in spite of it, right? So like yeah. there, there are successful black people, yeah. but does, does that mean that race, systemic racism doesn't exist because a few black people have su- yeah. succeeded in spite of the system working against them, right? Mm-hmm. But like some people don't believe that, that uh, the system is racist or that there, there's a problem with it because people are successful in spite of it. But like, how do you, what, what's the response to that? Because like, I know that, that some people might say like Denzel Washington or Morgan Freeman or, or Will Wayne are all rich black people and they've all yeah. succeeded. But like those people, how do they differ from, from yeah. the average person, right? They're, they're yeah. the exception, I think. And so like, yeah. how do you take that into account and kind of counterbalance that argument? Yeah, I think we have the same conversation about access. So I think a lot of people meet me off the bat and they see me usually in sweatpants because I usually wear sweatpants. Sure. Um, and there's an assumption that I'm not educated and I don't really know anything right. or I might be up to no good because I'm a black woman, right? Yeah. But most people don't know that everyone in my family has a college degree. So like going to grad school isn't really an anomaly for me. Um, I have a way different entry point than I do from a black woman my age who maybe grew up in New Orleans um, in like the fourth quarter, right? So we also have to realize that people may have access to the system in a different way. It doesn't remove racism, because we see the same access in white communities as well. Sure. Um, For instance, like I know white people who can't afford anything and who make a lot less than I do as a grad student, right? right? But it's not fair for me to be like, well, Bill Gates made it, so like you should be fine. Yeah, right? exactly. No, then that's the same kind of argument because like, and I know uh, Grayson makes that argument. Grayson has never been like a, a highly rich, you know, influential person, but you know he's well educated. He's he's still managed to create like his own business and and create a, a culture of inclusivity and things like that. And 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 he, I haven't seen him, you know, lash out and say, well, Bill Gates is rich. You know, well, yeah. you know, I'm, I must be like something that's wrong with me. But like, it's just we all come from different levels of circumstance, and it's like you were saying. So like, we don't all start off in the same level, right? We all have different levels of circumstance to deal with as far as the difficulty of our of our circumstances go. 
and we don't all start off in the same place. Yeah. And that's what makes it hard. That's what makes it hard to make everything equal for everybody. It's like we don't all start off in the same place. Some people live in places that are more more impoverished than others. They have more you know, uh, abusive police systems. Um, and they also have less you know, social economic programs yeah. to help them get to those places where they can be successful. And I think that like people, people just assume that because there's one person that's successful out of a group, that that means everybody can be successful. But yeah. I don't think it's always the case. No, not at all. And I think, not to dive too much into mental health, but I think it's important for us to really address why you're comparing yourself to someone else. Right. And yeah. really acknowledging that everything you know about racism, um, unless you've read up and like learned about racism, is sure. from someone you know. Right. So there's some kind of intersection where this dialogue or discourse or conversation started where it's like, oh, you can't be having a hard time because this person over here that you don't know whatsoever is doing just fine. Like, yeah. I don't know Oprah. Right. I never will know her. So, like, for <laughs> you to be like, oh, well, Oprah's having a good day. Why aren't you having a good day? Right. I'm just yeah. like, what is that, right? What does that like, have to me? Like, what does that mean, like, to me? Like, it, yeah, what does her status affect? Like, exactly. Status and affect ultimately, what it does is it strips people from their identity, and that's why it's important for scholars like myself to talk about why colorblind ideology is just not good well let's talk about colorblind ideology so some people want to make make the argument that okay so george floyd was a black man killed by a a white corrupt cop right so they want to they want to take that conversation and say an innocent man was killed by a corrupt cop so that takes race completely out of the situation is that a better way to approach it or is that a a colorblind way to approach it saying like let's 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 remove the object of a person's race from the conversation and then make it just about what happened to this individual. So yeah. even in that case, it's still a crime. The guy killed an innocent man, right? But if we exclude race from the conversation, what does that what does that tell other people? Like what does that say about like should we should we try to be colorblind or should we try to say, look, this is what happened. This is the reality of what happened as it happened. And these are some of the circumstances that contributed to it. And, and have a conversation around that as opposed to saying, well, let's just exclude race and not make it about race because when we make it about race, that's when we have our disagreements, right? Yeah, so colorblind ideology is never a good idea, ever. Okay. And the reason why is it really strips people of their culture um, and it strips them of their identity. Okay. Um, so when people see me and they see me as a black woman and they're like, oh, I don't see color, then you are in some way are telling me that I don't have experiences as someone of color or I don't enter the world a certain way. Um, but also what happens is it diminishes this idea of like what we might have access to and it seems like it could create equality but ultimately what you did was you told someone that their existence is not important based on like where you're coming from Um, and that's why it's harmful for the person receiving that message um, because it's really like oh i'm just trying to be neutral or i want to be part of the conversation together but we see that especially in this instant with floyd that race is really important because it speaks to a long history of this happening over and over again. Yeah, and it has happened over again. And then mm-hmm. I was reading up a little bit earlier in the week about some of, uh, uh, I forgot, I think his name's Elliot Till. Okay, or, yeah. Um, so I have a, a small excerpt that I want to read from that. And um, it was about uh, 1965, or 1955, and yeah. uh, Emmett Till, Emmett Till, sorry. He's a 14-year-old from Chicago. Yep. And uh, he went down to visit a, a family member in Mississippi, and he was accused by a white woman of whistling at her or, or like flirting with her. And then uh, two 
uh, two of the men that the white woman knew kidnapped, killed, and tortured uh, Emmett Till. And then um, when he went back to Chicago, his mom had an open casket and, yep. and decided this was this was the movement that that started the civil rights activism and some yep. of the things that, that that people in that part of the country and in that era decided this isn't this is enough. Like we've had it and. and so like even in 1922 where they had lynchings and things like that, like it just seems like nothing changed. Like yeah. we've, we've been going through this process over and over again of people, people being systematically oppressed by another organization or another group of white people or, or another group of people in general. Yeah. And so, and, that, and that's not just black people, the, the Native Americans kind of experienced that too. And then if you see their, their circumstances today, they're impoverished, they're in some of the most undesirable locations in the states that they, they reside in. And, and they've been shoved off into the corner of society. And, um, but like black people for sure have been systematically abused and, and oppressed over a long period of time. And then maybe this is just a culmination of those events. It's like we were talking a little bit before the podcast started about how um, maybe slavery didn't end, it just evolved. And yeah. now we've, we've changed it into a different system of slavery and using the, the for-profit prison system, the war on drugs and things like, like that and how police, um, how they police communities of color as opposed to like just the entire community in general. So like how do, how do you think those things contribute to the conversation as well? It contributes to everything just because how we know. So ultimately what happens is we have black families who mostly lose a black man due to some kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there's still thousands and thousands of black men serving crime for marijuana, even for states that are now legal. Right. They're right. still serving out time. Um, and then what ultimately happens is you pull people out of their family systems and then there's no support or role modeling or mentoring to kind of happen in that community so we see this kind of thing happen over and over again but ultimately what happens to us is like for me eric gardner was the first black man to say i can't breathe and i remember remember that that. right and like that's literally when i stopped watching these videos like i'm like don't watch videos they're just more traumatizing right? right they're gonna make you think humanity is not good overall um but ultimately we see that something really happens where someone loses life, but then this belief that you should trust the justice system right. is there's no kind of like happiness after that right. because we see police officers walking away with little to no penalty whatsoever. And then we're still left with this idea that black men's lives are not valued, but then also black women as a whole. Right. So then it's kind of like, okay, well, how do I make the system better if it takes me to get pulled over one time to possibly lose my life? Right. So there's always going to be systematic fear from communities of color, from police officers, because there are more experiences of something horrible happening when that encounter goes yeah. down than something good happening. Like... I see all kinds of photos of like the white police officer giving ice cream to like the black kids, which, okay, cool. But like two days ago, you arrested a 12 year old black girl because you thought she was a prostitute. Like, how does this like play in (laughs) to the conversation? Like, and I think that's important too. Like, we're not saying that all officers are bad. Right. Yeah. Not not at all. But we're saying we need to address the system as a whole. And that's like, the fact that the LAPD makes billions of dollars when universities don't even make that is insane to me. Yeah, and we, we were having a little bit of a conversation before about like uh, my experience as a police officer. And I, I was in the Air Force and I, I was a criminal investigator for the Air Force. And I was telling these guys about how much use of force training that I had while I was there. And I, I don't remember it being a very big chunk. And I was looking through my training records 
and I still have them. And I remember use of force being a two hour block. Like it was just one class, it was a two hour block. And then we had a practical application of that use of force, maybe a couple weeks later down in, in the training. But I don't know if cops need more training or they need a better um, culture in their, in their environment. But like, I think that there's an us against them mentality with the cops right now. And, and, and it's us, the cops, against the entire community. It's yes. not just black people. It's not just you know, Hispanic people. It's, it's white people, too. Because yeah. Grace and I were having a conversation about like white people still get killed by the cops. Yeah. But the, the problem is, is that there's a disproportionate amount of black people killed by the cops because they're a lower percent of the population. And yeah. so there's this there's this disagreement about like oh white people get killed by the cops too but yeah but have you looked at the things they get killed for and then the reasons why like the amount of time that gets spent on a one specific group of people as opposed to another group of people so we were having this conversation was like yeah white people are still abused by the cops but black people are also just disproportionately abused by the cops and, yeah. and, and Hispanic people as well and so like that that culture isn't just toward one specific race it's against everybody in the community so that something in their culture has to change yeah absolutely um i just think it's for me just mind-blowing because it's i feel like when people say defund the police we're talking about reallocating those funds back into education systems like i can't expect people to know about slavery if right. we never teach slavery yeah, exactly. like there's all of these little things that kind of start like when kids are young and impressionable um and have opportunities to grow into this idea that like it's not the police against the community right um and we're seeing that now like i get people are upset about a target that burnt down like okay but then all like there are police officers pushing over like seven-year-old white guys oh yeah i saw that right like just out of control like pepper spraying senators because they were standing with the group and they got in the way like and that kind of idea it's like this is not afghanistan we're not in iraq like this is Seattle. This is Philadelphia. So well, it's like it's funny that you mentioned that because those items that the, the police use pepper spray and tear gas, they're not allowed by the Geneva Conventions in war. It's considered inhumane. It's, that's like yeah. So, but we can use them against our own populations. Like that, that doesn't seem right to me. And then we milita- militarize the police by giving them military grade equipment and then equipping them to to have that kind of force against the civilian populations. Like, but we don't even allow them to do that overseas to other populations in yeah. war. Yeah, but uh, but we'll do that to our own people. So like, there's 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 some things that need to be addressed, and and obviously some things where we've fallen short of the mark for sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, and this is an area that I think, um, you know, when you're trying to talk across the aisle and get people to kind of understand mm-hmm. what this whole thing is about, there's a stark difference between the group of people calling for what they're calling defunding the police, which is essentially just budget cutting for the yeah. police and and reducing the amount of like tanks and AR-15s that they have and putting that more into like letting social workers solve mental health problems. But I think what's happening in the media is that they're conflating this idea of cutting police budgets with the small group of people who are obviously also being really loud calling to absolutely abolish policing in general. And I think it's really important to, to say that there, there is a distinction between those two things. Abolishing the police is not the same thing as not is as demilitarizing the police yeah. and i think that that's where people are getting kind of hung up is they're like Absolutely. oh so you just do, you just don't want anybody to respond when someone breaks into your house and it's like no that's insane like you yeah. can't <laughs> yeah and i think the hardest part is when people are having this conversation it's so easy to stay comfortable where you are in your own lens and just like say how you feel about things but it's like i have police officers in my family who deal with systematic 
racism every day on the job, whether it's pulling people over or whether it's from colleagues, right? So when you're having these conversations, think about, okay, like there's a tank on my street and I live in a residential area. Like if you're not freaked out, there's something going on. Like if you look outside and you see a bunch of guys in SWAT gear and you're not like, what the hell? Yeah. Like you're missing it. Like there's something going on where you don't want to question how comfortable you are to really challenge like if, is our police doing what they should be doing? Like they should be walking old little ladies across the street, not pushing them down and like spraying them with pepper spray. Right. Well, you'll see in other countries that the the police are there to serve a protective community. Their cars are colored brightly. They wear bright colored uniforms. It's like, they don't look like tactical agents about to go break into somebody's house and destroy some stuff. Like, and and if you want to think about it, like you bring up Breonna Taylor, right? She was an EMT, right? She, she was uh, serving her community in that way. And then the police served a no-knock warrant on her house and killed her husband. He was just defending his home, right? Because like he well, didn't I think know they he were... survived. Well, he did survive. Yeah. Okay, so but but, yeah, but Brianna Taylor died. Okay, so, but the husband survived, or her boyfriend survived. And then, but like the cops did this thing where they just went into somebody's house, yeah. basically didn't didn't say anything about what they were doing. They didn't you know announce themselves, which is a typical thing you're supposed to do. But they they were allowed under this no-knock warrant. Um, to, to do this procedure and I think that that causes problems too that the cops are given a lot of leeway and not not a lot of accountability for the things that they do some of them turn off their body cameras yep. some of them do have you know procedures where they have to give it but I think we need a couple things we need to get rid of qualified immunity for the cops and we also need more data from them data about what kind of prosecutions are dropped because they didn't have sufficient evidence they need they need data from like police incidents that uh, result in you know uh, an aggravated arrest mm-hmm. and, and we need more data from them about their general ongoings like they need more more um, transparency in their, in their in their dealings and and i think the cops get away with a lot because we've given them a lot of leeway yeah. because we've we've given them a position of trust yeah. and they've abused that power and and something needs to be rectified it, it needs to be changed i don't i'm not saying defund the police and i'm not saying all cops are bad i remember i used to be a cop I used to be a federal agent, like so. Hopefully, I'm not, I'm not one of those people, yeah, that is perpetuating the problem. But like, I'm saying that the culture has to change, and, yeah. and there are good cops. There are definitely good cops, and and but there are bad ones. And but it's one of those career fields where you can't afford to have bad people. It's like mm-hmm. if you have a surgeon and he's a terrible heart surgeon, do you want that surgeon working on your heart? Probably not. So why are the cops any different? Why do they have less accountability? But also the medical board isn't going to let him keep going. Right, yeah, right? the medical like board's going to get rid of him. All too, kinds yeah. of stuff put in place to make sure. And I think two things comes up for me. One, our police forces don't actually look like the communities they serve in. Right. Like even here in Albuquerque, like we don't have a disproportionately large number of like Latinx cops than we do white cops sure. in a in a state that's like majority minority, right? Yeah. So that's a huge thing. But then also like what you said, like I want to know what happens after. So like yeah. I don't want to hear conversations about how like Philadelphia Castile got shot by a cop when he is a registered go- gun owner, right. and then the NRA is silent. Like. Right. The NRA if, doesn't say anything. Yeah, right? Exactly. And then same thing with Brown Taylor. Like, she's an EMT, but then the medical field is silent. So it's kind of like, mm. these are times we need to speak up. Like, okay, it doesn't matter that they were black or brown or, like, blue or purple. They are part of our community, and you took one of us away from our community. And this is why we need some legislation or something different to happen. So we make sure that, like, the people who are actually doing hard work are still in that community. Like, I think Brianna's community, what happens now that there's one less EMT in the middle of a global pandemic? Like, we needed her on the streets. Well, and you know what's funny is the way that um, media covers it as well, right? Because 
I remember I was uh, studying some social justice and, and some diversity issues in college, and one case that we went over was the case of a, a nurse in a hospital where she got um, in an argument with a cop about taking DUI drug, blood, blood samples, right? And she was a white person. She refused to do it because, like, you need a warrant to have yeah. a blood sample. And, and so the cop's just, like, you know, trying to get her, on, you know, get her to comply and then ends up placing her under arrest. And then the media made a huge statement. Like, she was a former Olympian. You know, yeah. she did all this stuff for her community. She's a, she's a nurse. And then the same kind of thing happens somewhere else where this, you know, Brianna Taylor's an EMT. Yep. She works for her community. She's an EMT in the middle of a pandemic. You know, she's serving, she's serving in this, this important capacity, but nobody's saying anything about it. Yep. Like, it's just quiet. There's crickets. Like, where, where's the, where's the, the unbiased reporting in the media as well? So, like, it, it's not just one area of our country that's, that's not doing the right thing at the right time. It's several areas that are collapsing and falling under the pressure yeah. of, of these conversations that we're supposed to be having with each other. Yeah. Well, it doesn't pay to, like, assassinate a white woman's no, like character, right? Yeah, and not. that's really what it comes down to. Like, even when we see in CrossFit, there's all this conversation about Glassman stepping down. Right. For me, just like you would say weightlifting, I'm very, like unfazed by who your CEO is. Like, I want to know what your staff looks like. Right. I want to make sure that, like, not just the janitor is brown. Like, yeah. show me some diversity in your organization and then show me what work you're doing actively to make sure that you keep the diversity going and multiple, like, experiences and multiple, like, people are contributing right. to, like, what actually happens in that organization. Okay. And I think that's really what happens next. It's like, if... If something like that happens to Brianna Taylor, then like, what does that police force look like? But then, who also gets to fight? Like, like, what does the like the attorney look like? Like, what is happening in those conversations? Sure. And then, who covers the cost? Right. Like, if if the state won't stand up for Brianna, then who gets to stand up for her? Right. Yeah. No. That that makes. Yeah. That's that's absolutely like if the state doesn't stand up for her, who's gonna? Yeah. And, and it's the same kind of case where the the cops. Okay, so the, in the George Floyd case, all four of the cops have been charged. Yeah. The, what, uh, Chauvin has been charged with second-degree murder. First-degree murder is hard to prove because you have to have premeditation. So we don't, we don't know if we can get that kind of conviction. But the other officers are going to be charged with aiding and abetting a murder or a felony, like a felony murder. So in the case of, like, what the cops are held accountable for is, like, they can't just stand around and watch somebody die. Yeah. Like, they can't do that. It's not acceptable. We have to hold them to a higher standard. We, we expect them to protect and serve the community. But if they're doing things like that, turning a blind eye to specific situations where four of them are involved, four of them, yeah. like, and none of them said anything, none of them spoke up, like, there's, a, there's a, some broken pieces to the system, like, and something needs to change. But, um, all right, so we, we spend a lot of time kind of fleshing out some of these articles. What can people do to kind of change the way that they think about these things and, and, and maybe make things better for everybody because like I think that some people are at a loss they don't know what, where to start they don't yeah. know like maybe I want to be an ally I want to I want to help I, wa I don't want to be part of a system that's broken right so how do I help perpetuate a better way of doing things how, how can people go about doing that other than making posts on Instagram yeah other than other than social, like social media <laughs> other than stuff is like, yeah. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so I think the number one thing is really starting to take a deep look at yourself and kind of like who you're surrounded by, but then also challenging kind of like what your normal daily life is and like why it is you think the things you think. So right. either reading books or um, following scholars or things like that to kind of challenge those things. Um, I think the other big thing right now is it's 
incredibly important and the reason why a lot of this Black Lives Matter and Amplify Melanin Voices is coming out on social media is we I as a black woman do not need a white male to tell you what racism is sure. like really touch base with the people who are already doing that work yeah. um, and really follow their work like that's they are in those communities and they can speak to that okay. um, and then in the athletic community um, like I'm not always a fan of call out culture but I think especially for USA weightlifting we don't do enough as an organization to talk about mental health um like no no sports organization is doing that really um but really thinking about as an organization like if i have eight million like videos up on how to snatch like why don't i have one video on health and wellness um but then also and i don't mean like health wellness macros but just in terms of like how do you live a healthier life right right? like that's why functional fitness is so important um but then also like how are you taking care of your mental health and like what does it mean to be an athlete in 2020 and like get that kind of stuff done so i think there's so many things to start i think like I've said before, like start anywhere right. um, and say anything. And okay. really, even if it's something, I know a lot of my white colleagues have just been like, I don't know what to say, but I'm listening. Right. And to me, that means you're actually doing some work. Okay. Uh, when people respond with, I'm not racist, it's one comes off defensively, right. but then it also implies that you're not willing to work on anything. And all of us should be working on right. something. Like I'm actively talking to people and learning and working on stuff myself and so try to have the same open-mindedness to others when you're doing that yeah okay and and that makes a lot of sense because like i was i was kind of like thinking about this myself and and going over some of the things that that i think and and some of the things that i say like even to myself like or like it's hard to disconnect people's you know race from their actions a lot of the time and and we have to take a look at our values and say like well is this person really doing that because just because of their their race or gender or identity or are they just doing it because that that's the kind of person they are and so we have to kind of take the approach of like treating people as if they're ignorant until we educate them and but that's that's hard it's hard to educate everybody all the time it gets exhausting and so i think this movement is kind of getting some people to take some initiative on their own to do some of that work and say okay maybe i do have some kind of unconscious bias toward this kind of situation or maybe if i if i had a neighbor that moved in and they were black maybe like they wouldn't welcome them initially, but maybe they do go over eventually, right? And then that's that's opening the doors to having those conversations and being more open to yeah. to having you know people of different color in your community and, and in your life in general. And I think that the more closed you closed off you are to the idea that there isn't wrong anything wrong with you or anything that you can't change, then I think those people are going to have a harder time because they're going to see the amount of influence and change that's going to take place in the younger generations and people my age who are on the fence about changing things or maybe they're just like, if, if we, were, we were talking about the age, the average age of the congressmen and senators, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's over like 50 years old. I so know. they're like 58 for the House and then 62 for the Senate. The president's like 73, Joe Biden's 77. These guys were all alive when Emmett Till mm-hmm. got tortured and abused and none of them said anything. Like I don't remember yeah. Joe Biden marching on the rallies with Dr. King. I don't see any pictures of him with any advocates. Like, Joe Biden like, just thought he was black the other day, yeah. which was interesting. Oh, my God. But, like, <laughs> these guys have been around for years, and they've they've seen systemic racism exist in their in their policies and in their propagation of the government and, and in the programs they've set up. 
they've, they've witnessed this discrimination happen and they've not done nothing to change it. They've, yeah. they've perpetuated the system. Mm-hmm. So like, why are these guys going to be allowed to take us into a new mm-hmm. era of, I don't think so. Like, I think they're going to hold on to their values. We need to get those people out. We need to get yeah. rid of DAs, prosecutors who don't persecute police, who abuse the system. We need to get rid of politicians who don't believe in equality and fairness for everybody or a better sense of equality and fairness for everybody with more, you know, open programs for people and less barriers of entry for people of all, you know, ethnicities, genders, race, yeah. identities, sexual identity, you know, all that stuff. Like, I don't think that you should be discriminated against because of your, your, the, what you believe, mm-hmm. you, what color you are, what you know, gender you were born with, what gender you transitioned to. I don't think that you should be discriminated for any of those things. And like for the system to discriminate people based on those things, like it's, it's, we need to change that. Like, there's no reason for it. I don't think that it's productive to have barriers in place that keep people down because it just keeps the whole country in a, in a bottleneck. Yeah. And I think that's, that's not good for America. It's not good for, for individuals either. Yeah. I think something that you said that really pointed out to me is like, if you see someone for their color and, and attach a behavior to the color of their skin, right. then you are not actually practicing colorblind ideology right. in the first place, right? right? Exactly, so exactly. if you are pointing out color when they're like up to no good, then like you can see my color when we're in the classroom, right? So really like normalizing that. Also just having fear and just being unsure because someone is standing too close to you or doing something that just is uncomfortable is actually normal so like really normalize the stuff if you're looking out your window and you just see a black guy in his poodle and you're just like what is that man doing with a mask (laughs) like it's COVID-19 he's protecting himself and his dog mind your business right because that's kind of what is happening where like you don't get to police your neighborhood right. because you don't have anything better to do that day. Well, like, you don't get to weaponize the police against somebody based yes, on their absolutely. racial identity like or, or their race. Like You don't yeah. get to call the cops on a guy in the park bird watching. He's Harvard educated. He, you know, he's just out enjoying yeah. a nice sunny day. And then you, you know, he tells you to leash your dog, which is supposed to be in the park. Their dogs are supposed to be leashed. He wasn't telling you anything that wasn't true. And then you take offense to it and be like, hey, there's a black guy harassing me in the park. And then you're weaponizing the police again. But that's yeah. not right either. Like that, no, absolutely. Yeah, so, like, so it just takes all of us trying to do better. Yeah. Like really, it's just what it comes down to is it's like all of us trying to do better. And, and, and we can. I think we can. And I think that you know, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard when it comes to treating other with kindness and equality. It's like yeah. you don't see somebody as lesser than you because, because of the color of their skin. Like why is that so hard to grasp? It's also, we forget, it's it's rooted in K through 12, right? Like, right. like that lady who called the police, she didn't just, like, make that up on the spot. Like, right. she learned that from somewhere. She felt comfortable enough to do something like right. that, right? So we also have to think, like, who, like, again, like, who do you surround yourself with? And, like, are you really pushing for diversity? Like, right. now in 2020, like, there's very few places you can live where, like, there aren't any black or brown yeah, people around. Exactly. Like, yeah all over the country or right? asian people too that's yeah like, right asian so that's people a, are starting a complete, to populate a lot of places too. absolutely like, and i think especially when um you start to be defensive and like push back against this idea of like black lives matter or like why am i not included or why don't i get to have a say in this right. really check your privilege and like look at the the global mission like yeah. the whole goal of black lives matter is to make sure that my life matters therefore all of your lives matter like well i mean just just think about and michael che brought up this in the conversation too and he's like 
black people are just asking for their lives to matter. Yeah. Matter. Not, you know, not just like thrive, not be part of the top of the food chain. You know, they don't want to control everything. They just want their lives to matter. Like, yeah, like I want to walk my dog and be like, I could just walk my dog. I don't have to worry about who's watching me. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, uh, you don't want to be policed by the population just because of the color of your skin. Yeah. And, and that includes like other, other people too. It's like you shouldn't police other people just based on the color of their skin. And, and uh, I think that we've brought a lot to the table for a lot of people, things to, th- things to think about. So we have about maybe 10 more minutes of conversation left. So, Is there anything else you guys want um, to I, I did kind of want to touch on um, the de- defensiveness part of this um, because so – when I was a lot younger, my, my views were much more kind of right-leaning than they are today. Mm-hmm. And um, growing up, I did know, um, we, we fought with them quite a bit, but I knew literal white supremacists yeah. growing up. So I think that a lot of the ways that, you know, people like me feel defensive when these sort of things are brought up is that they say, well, you keep saying white supremacy, but like when they think white supremacy, they're thinking... A guy with a swastika tattooed on his neck and the the lens through which i was seeing kind of racial politics was like okay well i've always been against these literal nazis that would show up to punk shows and stuff as a kid so my default kind of position was like okay well white supremacy means white supremacy like Mm -hmm. this guy's a fucking nazi yeah and you know, and and then it took me a really long time to understand that when people are talking about like you know systemic racism, they're not talking about like John, Donald Trump as a swastika back tattoo. No. Yeah. that's not yeah. what the issue yeah, that's is. Not the issue. And yeah. I think that that's where the defensiveness comes from. Is people say, well, like, what do you mean, like, I'm benefiting by white supremacy? I'm, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to, you know commit genocide and like I'm not listening to like you know white power record albums and you know these sort of things and so it's it's kind of I think and it took a lot of the kind of nuance and you know college and just kind of growing up a little bit to kind of see like oh okay so you're not saying when you're saying like that behavior is racist because like you're like overly focused on black people's hair or something like that you know it's like well so I think that it's you know in academia a lot of times the way that people kind of structure philosophies and words mm-hmm. is that you kind of capitalize the letter and yep. then you say, okay, well, th- when I say this word, mm-hmm. this is what I mean. Yeah. And it, it, it involves like this whole kind of systemic thing. Yeah. So it's not so, so like if you're feeling uncomfortable, like, hey, you're kind of benefiting from racism. It's not that people are saying that you are a neo-Nazi. Yeah. And I think that the defensiveness comes from people saying like, well, what do you mean I'm being racist? I'm not a I'm not a neo Nazi. It's like, yeah, but you have to look at the way that like, if you walk into a restaurant and it's only black people eating there, how comfortable are you in that situation? Yeah. and that's more what people are talking about than accusing people of like being neo Nazis. Yeah, I highly highly suggest the book uh, Racism Without Racist, which really touches on this idea of like racism isn't necessarily of a single person's action it really is rooted in how we grew the united states and how the united states came to be right and i think when you say that it just reminds me that it's so important for people to realize that when they are talking about racism or like really white supremacy white supremacy is so broad right like that's the the overall idea but it it includes tokenism like people who talk to me because i'm black and educated and i'm just like 
way more articulate than my other black friends. That's actually racism. People who touch my hair because I'm an exotic bird, that is racism, (laughs) right? Like, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, and I get like, there's some curiosity behind it, but people have to realize that like the, the hardest thing about that kind of behavior is one, this lack of boundaries and that like, I have the right to do this to you because I'm curious and that's a privilege, right? That's white privilege for you to not think twice about, hey, is it okay if I touch your beard, Grayson? Like if I just get up all in there and you're like, what are you doing? Like I have the privilege in my mind to think that I can do whatever to you and you're not a person, you're now more becoming an object. So when we think about white supremacy and racism, really opening up your mind to be like, okay, it's not just the KKK, like it started there, but it was something as simple as like not letting black people move into your neighborhood because you were afraid the property values would go right. down. Well, and then that's another thing, like property values are tied with education systems. Yes, absolutely. And that's a problem because when you have an impoverished community and they're getting their education funding from property taxes, that means the community that has high property taxes, high value in their in their homes, are going to get a lot more funding for their education. So there's a lot of systemic things. And so here's one thing that I wanted to bring up real quick before like I finish out like what I wanted to say. But um, you were talking about how, okay, so in, in the law, ignorance of the law doesn't preclude you from abiding by it, right? Yeah. So what if we took that same ideal and applied it to racism? Your ignorance about what's racism in this country doesn't preclude you from doing any work that will perpetuate you being a better person because yeah. of like you acknowledging that these things exist. So like, just because you don't know of any racism or experience any racism in your life doesn't mean that it hasn't happened to somebody else or that it yeah. isn't happening to somebody else right now. So just because like your ignorance of it doesn't preclude you from doing any work on yourself as well. Yeah, I think uh, Maya Angelou said like you can't do better until you know better, yeah, right? Exactly. So like yeah. you have to know about these things to even keep yourself from unintentionally doing it to right. someone else, which is a part of it. Um, but then even just asking questions, like most of me and my black colleagues are not like against questions. Sure. It's really like the full force, like, oh, I don't know this. So yeah. like, you should be telling me this. Yeah. And then we had that conversation. Yeah. About, it's like, not people's exhaustion. Yeah. And it's not, exhausting. it's also like, it's just one, I had to learn about racism when I was like five. So like you yeah. can learn it when you're like 46, right. like, come on. Right. So then there also has to be some ownership. And that's what I mean by like, how invested are you? to making change right. and like yeah. really getting uncomfortable. Cause it's like, if you want people to stop burning down target cause you have all these values, then what is your value of education? Like, what is your value about learning why this is happening right. and like who this has happened to? Um, Floyd is like one person and like the last six months of a lot of black and brown people being murdered six by Six months, you mean 400 years. Yeah, right? But like just even like since Eric Garner, there's been something like 400 people. So yeah. it's just like, this keeps happening and i think for me it's like i'm not looking to white supremacists for like them doing that work yeah. but they don't have to right because right. now their sons of sons of sons are police officers right. so like how do we address training for them so they also don't do stuff like that because i think about you know like what was it like for that police officer to, to take someone's life and then like how do we help him as a person ever become better if this is all we know him for that's true and, and that goes back to like you know, he, he, maybe he's just ignorant. He doesn't know any better. He's just, you know, um, and then how do you, how do you rehabilitate somebody like that? Like, how do you get them to value human life across the board? Like, how, because like, I think it just stems from the, the idea that one life is less meaningful than another. And it goes back to when the constitution was first founded and they decided that slaves were going to be one third of a person. And then people never changed that mentality. So like, 
how do we get people to confront that and say, you know what, this is wrong, or this isn't right, or there could be a better way. So like, for me, I think that it comes down to like, if you want, instead of arguing about what a better person looks like, just be one. Yeah. Like, just try to be a better person. But you also need, a, like, you need a mirror, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you either need people around you who are like, hey, that's not cool, or you need some heavy self-reflection to be heavy able to do that. Yeah. Um, but even, like, asking the questions. Like, here in Albuquerque, um, our mayor, Tim Keller, has done a great job having town halls. Town halls, Where yeah. he's, like, at, like, he doesn't know all the answers, but he's willing to try, right? Yeah, have the conversation. Yeah, and that, to me, that's, like, I'm a person who's, like, there's several laws in New Mexico where it's still illegal to... Um, interracially marry so like I couldn't marry a white man um, or a white woman because it's like against the law we call them um, ghost laws really yeah so there's all kinds of laws lots of things aren't enforced yeah yeah there's all kinds of laws that we kind of just let go because we're like oh we're like more advanced now but like if that's still a law there's like no reason at one point for us to like actually claim anarchy and go completely back and just be like we are going to be the hands made tail and like bring all these laws back right Right. so then also asking those questions like where do your senators stand what is your mayor doing because it's not just the police force people enable them and people empower them well that's what it is it's enabling like we've, we've enabled the system to operate the way it has and i think that like with, with politicians and things like that, we, we let them get away with things because like it doesn't affect us directly all the time. So it's like, oh, well, just, that's fine because it doesn't affect me. But in reality, like they're perpetuating systems that create discrimination and, and police violence and things like that because they don't prosecute those yeah. things. They don't, they don't go after those people or they don't see the, the systemic problems that exist. And so instead, of, we need to do some spring cleaning yeah. on, on who's in charge of our policies and procedures for, for the way that the countries run, the way that the states are run, the way yeah. the police officers do their jobs. Yeah, but even opening it up, like I had a conversation with Toby the other day that really just struck me because I'm just like, the United States has a problem of like not fixing something right. until it's actually until a problem, it's a real right? Problem, yeah. So it's like COVID 19 is an issue because we never address the health system. Right. And so, like, if you're not worried about the health system because you have good health insurance, right. you should actually be worried right now, you right? Be worried, yeah. And then you should be asking questions about like why we don't have enough ventilators, why we don't have enough nursing, like all of those things, right. just because. Like, if you can't get a broken leg fixed, that's an issue. Yeah. Like, and that should be a human issue for everyone. That just shouldn't be a reflection of, like, oh, that's that side of town. And, like, that that's their their problem, yeah, right? Yeah, especially because, like, we live in America, right? It's not an episode of Naked and Afraid where you're living in the forest trying to get health care, right? The system so should work for us, like, for everybody. They should be working for us, and they haven't. And there's been failings in a lot of areas. And I think that... You know, there's a lot of things that we can improve on, especially in the healthcare system with the COVID-19 and, and with, with communities of color. And a lot of them, because they have those lower paying jobs, they got canceled out on the economy. There's 40 million unemployed people. And now that, yeah. what do they do for healthcare? And this COVID's still going on. Like it didn't go away. But it's not fear mongering. It's just like this is the reality of the situation, folks. Like 100%. we're not trying to scare you. We're not trying to scare the way that you've lived your life. No, not at all. We're just trying to have a conversation, saying that these are things that are a part of our reality, and we need to address them. Yeah, and I think ultimately remembering that racism exists in racism. every single system in the yeah. United States, and so the police force is one aspect of right. it. But if you're not willing to get uncomfortable and ask questions about your universities or like the memberships you pay for, like you're paying into those systems, right. you should know what your money is paying for. And I think uh, we, we might roll a little bit over the hour yeah, mark today. And I, yeah. I, yeah. But I, you kind of mentioned, like, you know, don't throw it all away and go back into an anarchy thing. And yeah. it, it kind of made me curious, like, how do, do you feel kind of annoyed that um, 
college age, mostly white anarchists are kind of hijacking this moment to try to get some of their uh, more radical kind of leaning things across? Like, do you feel like that's kind of uh, like creating the media narrative that this is just about violence and destruction? Like, how, how, how do you feel about like uh, kind of these outside agitators that are mostly um, either right-wing or left-wing anarchists um, that kind of clapped onto this as like, well, this is an example of the state being corrupt and yeah. we need to completely dismantle and destroy the state and go into either Ann Randia or, um, <laughs> or, or like, you know, Soviet <laughs> Union plus uh, yeah. kind of stuff. So like, how, how do you feel about like the... Like, do you think that, you know, the, the infiltration of kind of, like, extreme kind of, like, fringy ideologies that are capitalizing on this moment is kind of distracting from the narrative? So I think for people who wanted to distract, they are letting it. Like, for people who just want to pay attention to broken windows or targets getting burned down and, like, RVs going up in flame, right? Like, those are the people who want to point out why we shouldn't work on this or why this isn't an issue because those people are bad to begin with. Um, I think it's... And maybe it's, like, the millennial in me, but I'm, like, hesitant to, like, group all age kids together or, like, put them in a group. Because most of the people running protests right now and most of the people organizing are white college kids who really want to see something happen and, like, they want to see some change. So I do think that it really is few of many. And I think that even for us, like... It's an opportunity to like tell your news station or like tell people around you like I'm not interested in just the narrative of like who's breaking windows and then like I want to see the video right like I want to see the actual footage of what's happening um, because then we see a lot of people are kind of after a while change the narrative of being like oh like something like um, 250 of the people who actually were arrested in Minneapolis were white and from out of town so it's like okay like you can't stop people from joining. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you, I don't want to think that everyone is up to no good. Right. Um, but I also don't want to say that most white kids are running around trying to up, like change the system. Yeah, we can't do the same thing to them. We can't just say yeah, that exactly. all white people are bad. Like, yeah. no, of course not. No, that's not the case. Like, yeah. there's, there's just some people that aren't going to do the things that they need to do make, to make society better. They just want to see, they just say, they just want to watch the world burn, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and but like, especially to your point, well. Grayson, like, I think the most, the most important thing to me is those people who are involved right now are not going to be involved a week later, yeah. right? Like everyone who posted a black box last week and was like Black Lives Matter is not necessarily going to be doing it weeks and weeks from now. And like those are the people who are actually going to be a part of the movement and like committed long term. And those are the people I invest in. Like if people are really showing that they want to do this work, yeah. then I'm more than happy to have a conversation um, and give you resources about where to start. Like I can't do your work for you. Um, but I I haven't yet had some like I haven't had a white supremacist or like like so like someone part of this movement like shoot me an Instagram message like hey do you have a book I could read yeah. that would challenge my ideas about like why black people suck like I don't have any of those conversations either right. so there has to be some commitment from the other side to like want to lean in and like learn from the others like if you if I'm really your enemy wouldn't you want to do some homework on like why yeah like in Ender's game you know uh he studied his enemy to the point where he loved them. Yeah. And he knew them so well. And, and maybe, you know, maybe that's the approach you want to take. Like, if you think other people are your enemy, love, like, know them so well that you end up loving them. 
Yeah. And I'm all for it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's okay for, um, I posted this today, I don't think it's okay for us to be like, love is love and yeah. like, love thy neighbor right. yeah, yeah. with like any it. backing to it. Right. Like, especially if, like, if your love is conditional, if you have a bunch of values attached to it, or like, you don't love me because I wear green shoes, then like, that's not actually love. Yeah, and I think we love, need yeah. to continue that conversation as well. Yeah. As like, you just throwing love around doesn't mean you don't get to do the work and be a part of these uncomfortable conversations yeah because love is work a lot of time yeah like that's why i'm single yeah (laughs) yeah um, i i think to to kind of close out like you mentioned a lot about you know doing the work and um one of the you know points of uh contention that i've kind of heard from some kind of like center-right people is well what are what are what's the actual solution what is getting it right look like and they're and they feel like okay i get that there's a problem here but like they they feel like they're not getting a satisfying answer as to like mm-hmm. what is it that we're supposed to be doing what is yeah. getting it right look like um and i thought we'd kind of finish yeah. up on that yeah absolutely so i think it's like just so american to think that you can nail it like oh i'm just gonna like nail racism. that confidence yeah yeah confidence like i'm just like okay like calm down this has yeah. been happening for thousands of years um, so I think the first thing is just, like I said earlier, like start where you are and like just say anything. And it's just as something as simple as like letting a friend know that like, hey, I don't have any like great things to say right now, but like I'm trying to figure out like where I stand on this, yeah. right? But then ultimately like just like politics, just like everything else, like if you don't know where you stand on like murder and rape, then like you don't know where you stand on racism right. and other stuff, yeah. right? So yeah. it's yeah. like... Like, really tap into, like, what are your values? Um, And then for our younger population especially, like, as you start thinking about that, like, tease out, like, what are your values and what are your parents' values, right? right? Because that also changes over time. Oh, that definitely changes over time. Like, there's all kinds of stuff that my parents did that I was just like, what is that? Like, I don't want to do, like, I don't want to be that kind of person. Um, But then also, I think it's twofold. Like, one, being willing to be fully committed and do the work. Um, and long term, like this is not going to be a quick fix. It's not easy work. Um, it almost reminds me of weightlifting. Like you're yeah. going to hate it at times, but then like you're going to get better and like maybe like it some days. Um, but then also remember that, okay, if I'm working long term and I'm putting the work in and things like that, I'm slowly going to see change. And through those changes is how you end up on the right side. Yeah. Like I love people making statements and I do want people to speak out if they feel they're comfortable to do that. But like if your statements are not backed up by actions, then it really doesn't mean much to me. Right. And it doesn't mean a lot to our community. Um, but really thinking like, okay, am I actually invested in this community and am I willing to put in the work? And if you're not, just be honest to yourself and all of us, cause we probably know it as well. And then just bounce out. Like no one's expecting people to uprise. I'm not a protester. Um, I I never will be. That's just not in my personality, but I'm a scholar, right? I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of writing. I post some stuff. That's like how I do my protesting, but I'm more than happy to challenge people I think are my friends because I can't call you a friend if we, we're not on that level. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So really thinking like, thinking less of like, oh, like what's the one thing I can do today to make sure that I'm not a racist? Like that's not like that's not the goal. Right. The goal is long term and then also giving yourself enough grace and empathy and love to realize that you have to take days off. Yeah. Like 
the people right now fighting the Black Lives Matter movement have been fighting it for like years and years and years and years. And they take days off social media. They're not always online. You also have to recover and like rejuvenate, you know, like you need a rest day (laughs) to make sure you can like do another day of work. So I think it's twofold, like feeling like, okay, if this person made um, a racist joke and like, how do I really feel about it? Like, it's one thing to laugh because some people just laugh, but it's a whole other thing to like retweet that joke and like share it with your friends because then it's like, now you're a part of that system. Um, And I tell people all the time, like if you're not actively working to change the system, then you're part of the system. So you can't be upset with it (laughs) and then also be quiet and not do anything about it. All right. Well, I think uh, that concludes the conversation. Is there anything else you want to add, Grayson? No, uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, I think, uh, you know, looking back at kind of the the social media storm of the last week, uh, Mundo and I both kind of feel like we hate social media, so we didn't really do anything there, but we thought that this would be a a good way to kind of get uh, maybe a little bit of clarity about what some of these issues are, because weightlifting does have kind of a diverse uh, political base, and yeah. just kind of get some better understanding about the way that these issues are being uh, misinterpreted intentionally or unintentionally mm-hmm. in a lot of areas, and uh, I think we got a lot of clarity in, and uh, yeah, thank you for coming on. Yeah, I think it's like, what you just said was so important to me, like if you're not a social media person, that's fine. If you have a million followers, all of that stuff. But like, you have to figure out what's your, the advocacy you want to do and then what you're passionate about and making your revolution or your movement fit that. So like if podcasts are your thing, do that. Like no one's expecting you to like burn down anything. Like don't get crazy with it. Like don't do stuff outside of your, um, your wheelhouse. Um, cause you're already pushing yourself to be uncomfortable about learning about racism to begin with. All right. Well, thank you so much, Daisha. I appreciate the conversation, and I hope that you guys got something out of it. Um, if, if anything, at the very least, that you're just open to having this conversation and maybe doing a little bit of work on yourself. And if, if not, I mean, that's up to you too. It's it's a free, really, is a free country in that aspect, and you you cannot work on yourself if you want to. But um, hopefully, you will for the better, because that's why we we lift weights, right? Because we want to be better. We want to be stronger. We want to be a more developed. A healthy human being and I think that this is a conversation that we needed to have to help some people get to that point in their um, their personal lives when dealing with this type of topic like if you want to increase your strength and your resilience as a human being there's some conversations that you're going to need to have with yourself and with other people as well absolutely all right y'all take care until next time Bye. happy lifting <laughs>